Hey everybody, Brad Stevens here, founder and CEO of Outsource Access. We help companies redefine how they scale with offshore affordable staff from the Philippines. Congrats to all fellow winners of the 2023 Real Leaders Impact Awards. We are proud to be among you. About 10 years ago, I woke up to a major growth problem in my last business. Cash was tight, staff was overwhelmed, and tasks were not getting done. Then I discovered the world of offshore virtual staff in the Philippines where English is their second language, so there is no communication or culture gap. I realized outsourcing wasn't just call centers, it was access to college-educated Filipinos to support sales, marketing, operations, customer service, bookkeeping, personal tasks, and more. And in fact, the first woman I hired in the Philippines at 23 is now an award-winning COO of our entire company. It inspired me to launch Outsource Access. One client and YPO member, Ali Jamal, shared their offshore virtual staff Edison automated processes and saved them over 50,000 per year in the first few weeks. It's about finally getting things done and staff focusing on higher value activities. We've grown by over 2,000% in just three and a half years and will double next year. To receive a complimentary outsourcing playbook customized for your industry and to connect with one of our team here at Outsource Access, just visit RedefineScale.com. That's RedefineScale.com or text the word SCALE to 770-954-8440. Two months after hiring my first staff, she sent me a picture of shoes she bought for low-income children because of the opportunity. And now we support thousands of families and the environment with United Nations SDG projects. I'm proud we've grown with impact. To learn more, visit RedefineScale.com. Boom, what up? Hello, bonjour, and hola, real leaders. This is Kevin Edwards, your host here, and I am so excited. You're tuning in to one of our amazing experiences. What you're about to hear is going to be fresh, real, and loaded with inspiration, guaranteed to support your impact journey. So sit back, enjoy the listen, folks share a review afterward, and always keep it real. In five, four, three, two, and one. Welcome everyone to this episode of The Real Leaders Podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Edwards, and joining us today, folks, we've got the co-founder and CEO of We Care. Please give a warm welcome to Miss Jessica Chang. Jessica, how are you doing today? I'm doing good. It's halfway through the week. So, and it's what, July 4th coming up. So I'm I'm doing real good. <laughs> good, good. It's a good place to be. And of course, and you're sharing before the show, uh, kids keeping up at night. And then maybe that's a topic we'll, I'm sure we'll cover today uh, among We Care and, and kind of your role. And uh, maybe just to start there with just, you know, this experience. I mean, you're an Inc. 5000 fastest growing company. Um, you know, it's an incredible feat to, to get to where you are today. Let's go back to the beginning, Jessica. When I ask you the question about what's a story that comes to mind when you think about the co-founding of We Care and why it all began, what resonates with you? Yeah, you know, um, I think it takes a lot to become a founder. And yeah, um, and to be honest, if you ask my husband, he would have said there had to be an extremely good reason for you to want to found a company and then also have children at the same time. And I think that really came down to being personally affected by the lack of childcare. Um, I left my job because I couldn't find childcare. And my backstory is I've always been very much career driven, right? Was a top student in high school, 
um, graduated summa cum laude in college. Um, and one of, I mean, my first job out was being an investment banker and not sleeping, right? But that also tells the type of person I am. I'm very career driven. And when I decided to have a family, it was the first time that choice was taken away from me. And that gave me a really, well, that left me with a really big impact because mm. I asked why, why was that the case? Why is it that when I, a female, a driven female decides that I want to have a family, it becomes my burden to have to raise my family. And that burden generally falls upon women most of the time. Um, and, you know, long story short, it led me to operate um, childcare facilities and understanding that it wasn't just as easy as the family has an issue, like we can't find affordable and convenient care. Well, guess what? The other side of the spectrum is a childcare provider makes 20000 a year. It's not enough for them to stay in the industry. Hmm. So really for me, the founding of WeCare was looking at this system, systematic issue that's existed since my parents' generation to my grandparents' generation. And we still haven't figured out an answer to it. And feeling that personal passion point of wanting to solve it um, was, was the driver. Yeah, that's that's really interesting, and you know, I I, I can re I can resonate with that. Like, I remember, like in elementary school, always being the last person picked up from like the YMCA, right? Like, my mom would always come back, single mother, and it just was such a nuisance for her because she was a hardworking individual and had to take a lot of sacrifice to do that. So, um, I know there's innovations out there. There's daycare daycare centers being put in headquarters now and and that's forward thinking and hopefully we'll have 24 hour services and things like that but you know starting a business is incredibly difficult i mean there's two sides to your market providers and then the actual people using the platform starting early thinking back to we care what was the difficult challenge in getting adoption on your platform um so we care has actually evolved um over time and it's gotten a lot more complicated um, but you know, when we first started it, it was always a chicken and egg situation, right? So do you focus on bringing childcare providers on the system? What, what are you selling to them? Right? <laughs> like, why should they join? You don't have any families on your platform or do you focus on families? And then you ask the question, well, why are families joining? You don't have any providers on the platform. Uh, and I think that was always the consistent struggle. You you had to kind of fake it till you make it. <laughs> and so what we did was we decided that we wanted to help providers first because that was kind of the bottleneck. You talk to anyone, everyone says there's a childcare desert out there, which mm -hmm. actually means for every three kids needing care, there's either only one spot available or no spots available. And majority of the U.S., lives in a childcare desert. So we decided that we were going to tackle supply. It's not an easy thing. And we did everything possible to um, actually creating flyers and going to their, to their home daycare and like going to the grocery store and flying to parents. Um, but that, that was what we had to do to get that marketplace started. And, and 
so you went to the supply side first, like what were some of those hurdles with getting the adoption uh, of the actual users, right? To, to get onto the platform. How, tell me about a go-to-market strategy. Maybe you just alluded to a few of those. What was kind of the key thinking you had early on and maybe how has it evolved uh, to today? Yeah, well, the first part of it is we were actually creating new daycares. <laughs> we were helping people to get licensed. And as they were getting licensed, we were literally building the product as wow. they used it. So as you can imagine, it's like, first, okay, let's build a product to help you get licensed. Once you're licensed, let's help you build the product to get leads. Oh, now you have children enrolled. Let's build a product to help you communicate with families. So we were building mm. alongside them and really understanding what they fundamentally needed versus trying to put a, another product to it, right? Like, okay, oh, you, well, could we use a product that is meant for childcare centers with you? We could, but it's like, trying to use Salesforce for a lemonade stand. It didn't work. So we actually built everything from scratch. Um, now, really looking at where WeCare has evolved, hmm. we really, you know, post-COVID realized pretty quickly that if the burden of childcare was only on families and childcare providers, we would never get anywhere. And that's because when parents can't afford childcare, they disenroll and then providers aren't paid enough money and then they close. And as they close, it becomes an even worse supply issue, which increases prices for the remaining families. And it's just a vicious cycle going down. And what came from COVID is the realization that we had to work with public and private entities, so employers and government, so we care evolved and our go-to-market strategy evolved too, to being a B2B to C childcare marketplace where we work with employers and government to essentially help address affordability with stipends and subsidy and to address supply with actual creation of supply, of moving supply, et cetera. And of course, you know, I'm sure a lot of other competitors are trying to do, you know, the same thing. And like, help me understand like that those early adopters that you got, those which you go to the website, pretty large organizations, household names that are now working with We Care. Um, help me understand like getting that first B2B, you know, uh, partnership mm -hmm. opportunity. Like, did that validate something for you? I mean, tell me about how that uh, growth strategy went. Um, I think there had to be a step process to it. Um, we were fortunate enough that prior to COVID, we built the largest network of small childcare providers in the US. We were across almost every state and we were as rural as you can get, right? We can find you someplace to have your child go to in Montana in a rural town. And that actually helped us to sell that first employer, right? I think what COVID did, um, and so there was like multiple things that had to happen at the same time for us to really take advantage of that opportunity. Uh, what COVID did for employers was it made them quickly realize that they couldn't function as a company without taking care of their most essential worker. If you think about benefits prior to COVID, a lot of it was meant for 
management, right? It was meant for it. Hey, by the way, if you were going to enjoy our on-site childcare facility, you were paying $3,000 a month. How many people can actually afford $3,000, right? And so when COVID hit, who was really being affected? It's not the person that was working at home who had the flexibility to work at home. It was the healthcare worker that had to go to work because if they didn't go to work, the hospital didn't have capacity to service patients or the grocery store clerk that had to stock the shelves. If they didn't stock the shelves, what was the grocery store selling? So there was a fundamental shift on employers and thinking about benefits and who the benefit was for. And that benefit became for everyone. So when it came to a childcare benefit, really we built this network specifically to give more access to families, to service that family that wasn't working nine to five, to creating something that was actually affordable. Like our daycares were for, well, 40% cheaper. And so that opportunity opened itself when employers were asking the same question. How do we give them a benefit that every one of our employees would use that they could also afford? It, it, it's, it makes a lot of sense. And of course, you know, it makes sense for in terms of like that adoption with the price being pretty low and, and that being very competitive. And, you know, I think what I'm curious about is, you know, at this scale, which is insane scale that you guys have achieved. Um, just a quick question. I'm assuming you, I'm assuming, and I don't think this is a big assumption, but you have raised some capital in your experience to get this done. What's that experience been like? And have you noticed, I guess, throughout your maybe multiple raises, um, have you noticed um, a key thing that investors are looking for as you're trying to uh, seek the capital you need to grow your business? <laughs> Other than ROI, I guess. <laughs> um, I think most of the time is like across every single raise we have had is the opportunity, right? Is the opportunity large enough? Hmm. And I think the opportunity has actually gotten larger um, post-COVID. Um, you know, in the beginning, there was a lot of pushback on, is this even an issue, right? So many times you're unfortunately speaking to uh, potentially male counterparts that, you know, they might be 20 years out of the childcare raising time period where it's not an issue for them right now. So that relatability was very hard in the beginning to say, hey, childcare is really important. If we don't solve it, you're going to have issues like impact issues going for um going forward um till now really being able to show something that is sustainable but ultimately every single period of time we've raised money it's always been about how large is the opportunity and that opportunity has increased significantly because covid well you had every single child at home and suddenly that realization that childcare actually pushes the economy forward became relevant for every person. How big is the opportunity? How big is the market? And, and certainly something that's very helpful for really anyone listening to this right now and, and think about how big this opportunity needs to be uh, to get the capital you need. 
Question for you, Jessica, you described yourself as an impact leader before the show. Mm -hmm. I'm just out of curiosity. What what does that mean to you? How do you define impact? um, So, I mean, the simple definition is like, I think an impact leader needs to create impact from the inside out, right? They need to foster positive work environment, and it has to translate to a greater social and, and environment. Well, so it has to translate to social environment outcomes externally. So this kind of goes back to what I said about even reading a gardening book <laughs> is that at some point to it, what you're driving is a sustainable impact that can continue on um, for multiple generations. It's interesting because throughout this whole conversation, when I think about impact, of course, I think about the outcomes and the social or environmental aspect, sure. But throughout this conversation today, Jessica, it's all it's all been about understanding the customers, the pain points, the pain points of the suppliers, the, the pain points of the demand and solving those issues. Where Where have maybe in your experience, has there been a conflict? of uh, making a decision that would increase your margins, but uh, also might not lead to the best social or environmental impact. I mean, how do you think about those decisions Mm -hmm. when they get kind of difficult? Yeah. Um, Well, an easy one is the types of employers you would like sell to, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, Okay. We, We generally are very choosy about the employers that we want to partner with. And because we want to understand like, hey, who is this going to really impact? Um, this is a generalization, so we'll speak on generalization terms. Um, the example can be, do you sell to a tech company or do you sell to a manufacturing company, right? Technically, as a tech company, it is a lot easier to go sell to a tech company. Most tech companies have a plethora of benefits, but also the average uh, tech company salary is going to be a lot higher than the average salary of a manufacturing company. But we will choose to partner with the manufacturing company because the majority of their employees are almost hourly employees where childcare becomes a real issue for them. Meaning if they don't get childcare, they don't go to work, they don't get out of poverty. So that is in some points can be uh, a conflict because it's probably easier for us to sell to tech companies. We can probably make more revenue by selling to tech companies. But who do we really want to drive impact for? It's those families that are low income to lower middle income where without childcare, they stay in poverty. So that's a choice. And when you're impact driven, you choose to make the difference. You choose to partner with the manufacturing companies, the healthcare companies, the retail companies. And and as an impact leader, I mean, do you often find yourself going back to that question? Like how, how can I make an impact today? Do you find yourself maybe clarifying your core values to yourself, to your company? Like how do you tell me a little bit more about your intention, your role as a, as a CEO in the organization? So a smart person a long time ago told me that the CEO has really three things that they can do. <laughs> um, 
One is you are the cultural leader of the company. What you set as the core values becomes the core values that every single person um, follows. Um, and so that actually meant a lot to me because in the end of the day, what I believe in becomes the core values of what the company stands for, right? And so right from the start, like we spent a lot of time talking about mission and our mission literally has not changed from day one. We had a mission on day one to say, how do we make childcare accessible for all? It's been the same mission, but the vision on how we execute on it has definitely changed because mm -hmm. we are trying to find how do you make childcare accessible for all? What is the most sustainable path to do so? Um, and our core values to who we hire is driven by that too. Every time when we hire someone, one of the, in, the final interviews that we do is about culture. Does this person um, fit into our culture? Do they embody the same mission that we're trying to target? So it, it's, um, it, it's a big one. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. If you had to think about a pie chart, Jessica, like how you spend most of your time, how would you divvy that up? Goes back to the three things that I'm supposed to do as a CEO. <laughs> Prioritize it that way. <laughs> um, so it's culture. You are the culture interpreter. You um, essentially, you hire the right people to execute on your vision. <laughs> and then the last is you make sure that you fund the company enough so that you can go and execute on that vision to solve the mission. So <laughs> if you got to boil down to it is culture, um, hiring, and uh, fun, fundraising. <laughs> um, I'm sure as, as, uh, as the company evolves, that starts changing a little bit. But as a startup company, that really embodies what CEOs do. I would say um, right now, and these percentages differ time. Sure. I would say fundraising is about 10% of my time right? Like talking to investors, talking new or current investors. 30% um, of my time is on hiring, right? Finding the right people, making sure the, the company has the right hires to, to do what we want to do. And then 60% of my time is culture and people, right? I'm always talking about what our culture is, our values, the core elements that make us drive us forward and working with our team leaders to to push for those values and making sure that we're constantly asking is it achieving our mission Jessica it seems like you're someone who's of course very driven uh successful uh at every level in life but that means you know you're you're constantly learning you know you're constantly trying to improve and get better what are you currently working on how are you currently trying to better improve yourself so, <laughs> um, well, it's, you're kind of always jumping back into things. Like, so the last quarter we spent a lot of time on operations, like, okay, well, how does this fundamentally break down, right? You're always asking, where does it break? And we spent the quarter um, really plugging in those breaking points and making the team more robust. And this switches over for the next quarter. I focus on revenue and um, well, all parts of revenue. So we're re-looking at that customer journey 
and understanding how do we make it so that customer from when they become a lead to when they become a customer, it's that same voice that resonates across that journey. So right now, what I'm doing is reading tons of books, looking at tons of YouTube videos on customer journeys and how we can continue to improve on it. Listening to podcasts like yours to, to like ask, like, how can we think about this even further, deeper, like run through that customer from um, Sam that works in a manufacturing that is the VP of total wellness that has two kids. How does that journey look? That makes sense. Yeah. Looking at the customer journey from all facets, creating multiple different personas, thinking through each stage of the process. Uh, certainly something that's always changing as well, right? The market is always changing and and forever will be your job. So Jessica, thank you so much time, uh, so much uh, for your time here on the podcast today. In all of this, let's bring this home. What is your definition of a real leader? <laughs> I like to say that, um, you know, I think a real leader is someone that is vulnerable, that is willing to give their all to understand that they don't know everything, but they're willing to learn and constantly learn, but that they're willing to really give their all to make something happen, regardless of how hard that is. That for Jessica Chain, I'm Kevin Edwards asking you to go out there, be vulnerable, make it happen, and always keep it real. Thanks, Jessica. Hey, Releaders, thanks again for listening to this amazing episode. And if you're someone like me who goes all the way to the end just to make sure I can extract as much information, education, and inspiration out of every single interview, might I suggest you check out our magazine. If you go online to Releaders.com today, you're going to get the first 30 days for free where you're going to be able to access all of our magazines courses and live events from some of the top thought leaders around the world. All you have to do is go online to realleaders.com and click the subscribe button in the top right corner to get your free 30-day trial right now. Again, that's real-leaders.com. Thanks again for being a real leader and always keep it real.